What's up, guys? This is the 404 Forum, the show for Atlanta sports fans to sound off on the latest in the 404 sports scene. I'm your host, Isaiah, and I'll be here to guide you through all the triumphs and the tragedies of sports around the 404. It won't always be pretty, but I can promise you it will be fun. So ATL, let's talk. Hello, 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 Atlanta. This is your host, Isaiah Smith, coming at you with another episode of the 404 Podcast. I hope you all are having a great week. If not, well, I hope this episode makes you guys feel a little bit better because we got a special guest joining us today um, in this week to talk about some basketball and get you guys primed up uh, for what I consider and what I think he will consider as well as the most wonderful time and, and sporting event of the year. Um, but first, I want to introduce our guest, uh, none other than Mr. Deshaun Tate. Uh, he's a pretty well-known, I think, in hoop circles. Um, analyst, um, whatever you want to call him. He's the host of the Tate's Take podcast. Um, you know, you can find him on Twitter at Takes, Tate's Take Hoops. Um, but um, Deshaun, thank you very much, very much for being on and for, you know, coming on and talk a little bit of hoops uh, this afternoon. Yeah, Zay, no doubt, man. I don't know. I just kind of made up that Zay name on my own, if you're <laughs> all right with that. I don't know if you've ever heard that one before, but I am the dude that infamously probably has nicknames for everybody. So uh, on this one, you're going to be Zay because I don't think I know another one, man. Appreciate you for having me, for sharing uh, the space and the platform with you and whatnot. I know that the Tate's Take handle can be kind of tongue-twisting sometime, but uh, you did a good job, man. Tate's Take Hoops, I like to call it where basketball lives. Awesome, awesome. Well, we're going to see if we can let uh, basketball live here at the 404 for just a bit. Um, and also uh, tell you about the uh, the nickname. You're the second person that's given me that nickname in the last two to three months. Um, okay. The, uh, the, the basketball coach for one of the schools I cover um, actually gave me that nickname. It just kind of stuck, and it rolls off the tongue for him, I guess. So okay. I may have to embrace <laughs> it. I may have to start uh, start introducing myself might, that way. Well, well, the thing now i got to come up with something different because everything that I have for everybody is kind of original so I don't know. We might either have to go with Zay Smitty or Smitty or something. I don't know what we're going to do. And then you've got a little bit of the, the Southern draw. Are you originally from right here in Atlanta? I'm not originally from Atlanta. I'm from a small town or about an hour and a half north uh, called Homer, Georgia. Okay. Um, I don't know if you you know where the Tanger outlets and commerce are. Um, I but do. that That's us. That's us. We're uh, right here off 85, about an hour, hour and a half north. So um I guess I picked it up from being around the peers and I've grown up here my whole life. And, and I guess my parents sound like it. I sound like it. So I'm, I'm <laughs> Southern, but, but I do love the city and do love Atlanta and the 404 for sure. No doubt. No doubt. I appreciate you for having me. I wish we can switch accents sometimes whenever it's beneficial <laughs> for me. Uh, but nonetheless, man, thanks for having me. Oh yeah, no problem. Um, so I guess we can go ahead and jump right in. You know, I want to get started. I want to talk about these Atlanta Hawks. They are um, maybe the hottest ticket in town right now, considering the time of year and everything we got going on. Um, but this team, they they did a lot in the offseason. They put together um, a retooled roster. They went out. They got some guys that that I think are going to be difference makers and will be difference makers when they all get healthy. But, you know, looking at this team from your perspective, what kind of improvements have you seen from this group already? Yeah, um, well, uh, besides the fact that they did go out and get more pieces in those acquisitions and trades for more, first of all, that's an improvement within itself. Uh, I do think that they look a little bit better defensively. Uh, obviously, one huge part of that reason is uh, because of Clint Capella, but 
Uh, outside of that, uh, rebounding is another point of emphasis where I think, again, because of Clint Capella, uh, but even getting to the charity stripe, one of the best teams in the NBA to be able to get to the free throw line. I like to call it the free space on a bingo card. Uh, so I think that those are just a couple areas where I think has really benefited them. I know that they were really bad from three uh, last year. Uh, I think they're slightly better than that. But I think that, as you alluded to before, uh, as far as the injuries, they're only going to get better and improve in that particular department and, uh, and, and just get these guys to get a little bit older. They improved because they got older. Those guys who you were relying on last year, uh, some of your hunters and your reddishes and sometimes force reddish to play point guard. And it forced a lot of these guys to grow up relatively quickly. Trey Young isn't the rookie Trey Young anymore. He is the third year Trey Young. Uh, and so with all of those things, it's I, re, uh, I compare it to being much like college basketball, where it seems like the better teams are the more experienced, the veteran and the older teams. You want to get older and stay older. Uh, and I think that that's the direction that the Hawks are trying to go. They just can't really force, you know, seconds, minutes, hours to go by any faster that they have control over to get any older. But for right now, I think they're okay. And I think they're seventh in the East. They've been pretty much right around that range of sixth or seventh. Uh, and and I, they're not doing bad for themselves. For sure, for sure. Uh, you know, you talked about it a little bit. Um, some of these young guys, the age, you know, seeing DeAndre Hunter in year two, Cam Reddish in year two. Um, you know, DeAndre Hunter, a guy who a lot of, some people alluded to as a most out, or most improved uh, player candidate before, you know, the injury and things like that. You know, he's kind of having a breakout year, but I love the fact that he's just been steady. He's been the steady guy to go beside Trey Young, um, you know, averaging around 17 points a game, five rebounds, two assists, you know, nearly one steal. So he really can, you know, do it in all facets. And I, I, I do love that. I love that he's maturing and coming along. We've seen Cam Reddish have his moments, um, and so, you know, even the, the defensive improvements you alluded to as well, um, you know, the the overall improvement that I've seen from this team, I, I love it. I love the direction they're headed in. And also, I just, you know, I love to see that they've sold out to the rebuild with the young guys, these young guys getting older, becoming veterans, you know, you're gonna have to pay them at some point, but hopefully they can mature into the guys and the players that you, you drafted them to be, you know, Hunter at six and Reddish at 10. Um, so, you know, looking at the season, you know, over the past, I guess, 20-some-odd games, they've played some pretty good games. We've seen them lay some eggs, obviously, but also seen them do some things that they really didn't expect them to do. Took the Lakers to the wire, um, you know, took the Bucks to the wire, I believe did that without Trey Young. So, you know, but they ultimately lost those games, and I'm not one for moral victories. Um, and Hawks fans, I don't think, are, are people who want moral victories. They want a championship at some point. So what are the improvements still left to make for this team to compete with the best of the best and put themselves in championship conversations? Yeah, I think that one of the major things is you just got to continue to try and get better um, defensively. Uh, I think that that's a, a very key component to how far this team can probably get. Uh, even though that this is an NBA, which is crazy to think of now as I'm sitting and I'm looking day-to-day -day at some of the over-unders and I'm seeing them at like, you know, 250 and – you know, 220 and this and that. And I'm like, geez, like these are like all-star game over-unders <laughs> almost to an extent. Uh, but, you know, and, and I, I do recall Lloyd Pierce saying in one of his most recent press conferences that uh, on a good night, like on a really, really good, like on a great night, your opponent 
uh, the opposition will have probably somewhere right at about 100 points. It wasn't that long ago, at least I feel like, that we were seeing, you know, the, the, the 2004, I think it was Detroit Pistons, was holding guys to under 70. Now it's so hard to hold teams under 100. Uh, so I think from a defensive standpoint, they can still be better. Will they be the best? Probably not. Uh, but just to take steps, even if they're baby steps, to try and improve in that particular area, uh, to shoot it better from the outside. But some of the things are not things that are going to show up necessarily on a stat sheet. Some of those things are just developing that chemistry, getting healthier, uh, learning the, the new guys that are on this team. We start talking about getting healthier. I mean, there was a point in time where it seems like I feel like every guy that they picked up in the offseason, whether it be by trade or whether it be uh, 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 just by being acquired in free agency, were not even playing. I mean, Rondo was on the bench at the time. Uh, um, um, Bogey was out with an injury, and I think he still is. Gallinari was on that same level. Um, Chris Dunn was, you know, on that same tip. Uh, Onyeka Okangu was there. All of these guys were pretty much injured at the same time, and they're having a hard time trying to find some balance and getting these guys all back together. So I think there are some things that show up on the stat sheet to where they can improve. There's some things that don't show up on the stat sheet to where they can improve. But I think the biggest thing is just the chemistry. Once they get all those guys together and piece it all together, I think that they'll be just fine. I agree. I think, um, you know, the health is the big thing for me as well. You know, you, like you said, all the, your, your flashy free agent acquisitions at one point were on the bench. Um, you've had, you know, Trey Young resting here and there as, as you need him to. DeAndre Hunter going out for, you know, I think eight to 10 weeks they announced today um, isn't going to help your case at all. So I think it's really going to come down to um, how quickly can all these guys get back. Um, and it'll also come down to how quickly can they mesh. You know, it's one thing to have them all on the, on the roster and have them all available. But getting them to play together, your core group, you know, your bogey, your, your Gallinari, um, getting Rondo in the mix and figure out, figuring out what his role is going to be, Chris Dunn as well. Um, you know, Nyeko Kongu is going to have a role on this team somewhere. We don't know what it'll be exactly yet. Um, but getting him back to full strength and seeing what he can do and what his role will be. Um, I think all that will be key in, see, to, in seeing where, where this team's going to go um, come playoff time. But um, you know, in a perfect world, if all those things do come together, um, my question to you, I guess, next is going to be, you know, what's the ceiling for this upgraded unit and do they have what it takes to to win a playoff series or maybe even two? Yeah, I think they have what it takes to win one. I think it's a little bit more of a stretch to say two, especially considering that this is a team that we haven't seen in the playoffs with this with this core of guys uh, because all of the other guys were pretty much gone. Uh, that was on the team before the last time that they made it. Uh, as far as a ceiling, I really hate to cap uh, a team on what their ceiling is. Uh, it kind of similarly feels like someone that wants to cap me and how successful I can be at my career. You know what I mean? Uh, so I kind of hate that in a sense, but I will, I won't dodge it. I won't, I, I won't deny it. I will answer the question. Um, I think that that is probably second round. I think if, if, if you go to the playoffs um, and you lose in the first round, that's something that was expected. That is their goal. I can tell you that now that's something they never stopped talking about. Me just being in some of these post-game and pre-game press conferences and so forth, 
there is no exceptions. Now, I've always been the type of person that uh, have said that the fan base should have their expectations low because it's much harder to disappoint that way. Uh, but make no mistake about it, this is easily a team that should have high expectations to make the playoffs. Now, if they win a series, which I think that they can win the first one, obviously, depending on who they're playing in that first round, I think that they can advance to the second round. Would they, if they were to advance past the second round, would that be a shocker? I think that that's borderline, depending on who you ask. It may not be the biggest shocking thing to me if they made it past the second round and made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, just because of the fact that uh, while the East is still tougher because of some teams uh, and some newly acquired players in the Eastern Conference, I also believe uh, that they are uh, a team that you want to keep your eyes open for. Like if they find a way to get defense emulated, uh, emulated into their game. Can they be the Miami Heat? Nobody expected the Miami Heat to be what the Miami Heat was last year going into the playoffs, but they did something and a lot of that was set in stone on the defensive side. So if the Hawks, again, I know they got different pieces than Miami, but, it, but if they found a way to implement that into their game and get consistent at it, I don't think that that's outside of the realm of possibility. Now, granted, most people would say if they go that far, they should throw a parade or something down Peachtree. Uh, I don't necessarily disagree with that. We are talking about the Hawks after all. Um, but one thing you don't want to do that I've learned from when I was young is when you're playing with house money, those are the teams and players and so forth people that you don't want to go against because they don't really have anything to lose. Nobody's really paying attention to them. The target is not on their back. They don't have that bullseye. And so you never want to count out a person or a team for that matter. In this case, that doesn't really have a lot to lose. For sure. You know, I, I love the mentality and the idea that this Hawks team is playing with house money um, down the stretch into the playoffs and things like that, because, for, you know, for the fact of the matter, you know, no one expected this team to be where they are at this point. Um, you know, maybe once you add the guys in, but Trey Young has kind of exceeded expectations, in my opinion, um, to an extent when whether you want to debate he or, you know, who's better he or Luka Doncic and who 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 won the trade, that that's not exactly, you know, what I'm here to debate. But what I am saying is, you know, I think Trey Young developing into a superstar caliber player, um, not to the superstar level yet, but, but trending in that direction, especially on the offensive side of the ball, um, is, is a welcome surprise. It's a welcome thing to have in the city of Atlanta, who really, even when the Hawks were good before, they did not have a superstar caliber player on, on the team that went to the Eastern Conference Finals a few years ago. You know, that team was good, but who was their star? I don't think they had one. Um, and so, you know, I firmly believe, you know, like you were saying, playoffs with this team talking about playoffs and that being kind of the focal point. I, I, I love that. I love to see the, the drive and the want to be there. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say that, that a, a parade down Peachtree for a second second round appearance or even a final or a conference finals uh, um, appearance is what we is what is expected um, because people in the city of Atlanta, they want a championship is it's the way it is. They want a championship. They starve for a championship. Um, and, and the disappointment is kind of one of the things that the people in the city are used to used to experiencing. If you look back as, you know, as far back to the Falcons a few years ago in other sports or look as recently to what's happened with, you know, the, even the Hawks when they were good before getting swept in the conference finals by the Cavaliers. Mm -hmm. um, 
So with all all that in mind, you know, I, I want to see this team make a push. I plan with house money and kind of just going for it. You know, whether that that's one of the things that's griped me with other franchises in the city is they don't they won't just go for it. Yeah, we're young. Yeah, we we have, you know, all the potential in the world. Yeah, we have, you know, this youth and we're getting experience. But why not go for it? Because as as we know, as Atlanta sports fans, those opportunities for championships don't come around very often. Even when you say, hey, let's run it back next year it don't always work when you run it back. That was, um, you know, we saw it with the Falcons. I'm so worried about it with the Braves. We saw it with the Hawks, um, you know, Mm -hmm. firsthand experience. And we see it across other cities with other teams and other sports. So whatever the, the, the outcome of this, of this season is, and and like you said, I don't want to cap them with a ceiling, um, but whatever, you know, I think for fans, realistic expectations you know first round definitely playoffs um is realistic for this group but Mm -hmm. whenever this thing starts rolling and they start moving and and moving through the playoffs and they knock somebody off and and get into that uh, conference finals i'm ready you know i'm I'm gonna ride the wave i'm gonna say hey let's go get it let's go for it let's not just be satisfied and sit back on our heels as fans let's get rally behind the team and and go for it And, and 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 that's that's my push. You know, I want to see a championship in Atlanta. I want to see the Hawks bring it. Um, so, you know, looking at the roster and kind of breaking things down a little further. Um, also, I want to ask about, you know, some, some specific pieces in contract negotiations. You know, I got to ask about John Collins, you know, and just kind of to put it out there bluntly, do you see him as a max player? We know that they, the team and he kind of um, negotiated earlier um, before the season couldn't come to an agreement. Um, but is he a max player? Do you think he garners that max money from the Hawks or from someone else? Well, I'll say this much. And the reality is this, when you look up the term max player in your imaginary uh, dictionary, um, you don't see John Collins face pop up. Okay. And that's just the reality of what it is. Um, So from that sense, probably not, but we have definitely seen more than enough guys, more fingers and toes of mine combined of guys um, that have gotten contracts like that, that were not doing what John Collins was doing or is doing rather. Uh, this is a guy that has progressed every single year that he's been. I mean, I remember when he first got drafted, they brought him here to Atlanta. It's media day. And um, I saw him, you know, in some uh, uh, preseason games or uh, first few games of the season. And I just knew and felt that vibe, that energy that he was going to do this consistently and was going to get better because while there was room for improvement, there wasn't as much as I felt like there was for some of the other guys who were drafted before him. When he got drafted, I just really didn't think that was the greatest choice. However, um, there, it's, it was arguable because there wasn't too many more guys on the board around that range that I thought could have really gone it was it was questionable to be honest with you and you just had to land on the right guy and Atlanta finally as it feels like in some cases landed the right guy uh, and I had to go to John and I told him and I and I wanted it to be done this way I could have tweeted it I could have did this or did that but I went to him and I looked him in his eyes and I told him I was wrong uh and that I I, I didn't think that you were going to do this and I'm just being honest and I you know, not knowing how he would feel, knowing that he doesn't know me from a doorknob, you know what I mean? Um, oh, yeah. But I take a lot of pride in the way that I evaluate players. 
and there's some more than enough of them that I've been right about, but there's definitely some others that I have been wrong about and wanted to elaborate on the fact that he was one of them. And I wanted to tell him that to his face. And he respected the fact that I was honest with him about that. And I just think that that just goes to show now that we're seeing the progression, because not only what did he look so good as a rookie, but he took that a step further with trying to develop some of that outside jump shot in his second year. Uh, and, um, and try to, you know, there's some defensive liability things there and so forth. But if you watch him, he's going to the, he's going to the, to, to, to the cup hard and aggressively, even when he's not getting the whistles blown for him. He's a great guy, a, a great teammate from what I know him to be. Obviously, I'm not one of his teammates, but just seeing him the way that he's not only respected in the locker room, but his voice carries and he is definitely one of the leadership piece, major leadership pieces of this team. And he is the personality that is for sure. So for those of you who are, you know, Hawks nation, diehard Hawks fans, this dude is, he's different in the locker room. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a clown, but he's a good clown. He's a good guy. Um, and uh, so does he deserve what he's asking? I think the question is, what is, what is he asking? Uh, I think if we're talking $80 million, he should definitely get that. I think when it starts to get $90 million, it's like, uh, I don't know if we really want to do that just yet. But if I do, it's going to be exactly 90 and not a cent more, not a red cent more than that. Uh, but if he's talking between the 100 to 110 range, getting inching closer from max to super max or anything like that, I think that that's a little bit premature for him. So um, I don't want to be in his pockets. Uh, I'm more of an X's and O's clipboard, what I see on the court type of dude and let the people that are much smarter than me that make those financial decisions uh, do their part. But um, I think that they should definitely come to an agreement, a balance, some kind of happy medium of some sort because he brings it for the most part every single night. And I don't think it necessarily helps that Clint Capella has been more of an offensive threat than we thought he was going to be. I'm not sure how much that really helps John Collins. Um, but John Collins was one of the names that people thought was like a fringe all-star uh, prior to being, you know, having to sit out for the 25 game suspension. So if it's me, having to keep Trey Young's contract in mind, trying to figure out what we're going to do with some of the younger guys because their paydays will be coming up at some point. I'd probably keep him if I'm being honest with you. Again, if he's willing to accept, if, I'm, if he's going to be willing to sacrifice some of his money and I'm going to be willing, I'm going to have to sacrifice paying him a little bit more than I initially wanted to, then I can... I feel confident in doing that. Um, yeah, I think I, I, that, that's something I feel comfortable doing. Um, you know, me looking at it from from the analytical standpoint, um, you know, I have friends all the time that say, you got to pay John Collins, you got to pay John Collins. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, he, he's earned, he's earned his money, whatever he, he gets, whether it be from the Hawks or another team, whoever he gets it from, I, I agree wholeheartedly. He's earned it. He's, you know, come in, he, he's gotten better. He's developed his game to be a modern power forward in, in this NBA to be able to shoot the three and shoot it at a high clip, you know, be able to shoot it at, um, you know, nearly 41%, I believe on the, on this season and shot it close to there last year, if not a little better. Um, and he's really developed his game. And I, I love what, what I see from him. I love the work ethic, the leadership is, is a key that you don't see in the stat sheet, but he definitely brings it. Um, you know, even, you know, from the incident that he and Trey Young had earlier in the year that was reported, um, you know, whether or not whatever you stock you want to put into that, the fact that he was, you know, able to step up and say, hey, you know, I don't I don't like the way some of these possessions are going. It's got to mean something for him to, to set the tone and really bring that to the table and bring that to the team. But all that in mind, you know, I I think you have to weigh, it comes down to what does he mean to the Hawks? Um, mm -hmm. What does he mean to this team? You know, you drafted Anyeko Kongwu, who you, who knows what he's going to be. It's hard to say, you know, put him into a mold. Cause like you said, with, with, with John Collins, you kind of try, you predicted him and as, as well as you analyze players, um, you can still be wrong. We, we can still be wrong about guys. It happens all the time where we miss on a guy and think a guy's going to do something and he does the opposite. But Nonetheless, I think it comes down to Hawks management and ownership saying, you know, how much does John Collins mean to us? I don't think the 110, the Supermax range is him. That's not the money I think he's going to garner from necessarily anyone. And if I'm the Hawks, I'm not – I'm probably not going to entertain that. I'm not going to try to take money out of his pocket. But at the same time, I'm probably not willing to entertain that type of a contract. But also, I think he means a lot to this team. It With does. Clint, Clint Capella being the offensive threat takes away – from him in a, in a sense, but I think, you know, Capella's defensive ability that he can make up for a lot of, um, a lot of mistakes and erase a lot of mistakes mm -hmm. on the back end. I think having those two together really complement each other and whatever you get from Collins defensively is a plus the same as whatever you get from Capella offensively is, a, is another just added bonus. So I'm not married to the idea of keeping John Collins and making him, you know, an overpaid guy, mm -hmm. but also I, I want to keep him around. I want to see him stay. If it means sure. a little bit of flexibility on the part of the Hawks and saying, okay, maybe we lose someone, you know, later down the line, but we keep this guy. I think it's worth it. Cause I think he means that much to, to this team and into what the, the Hawks are trying to do and what they're trying to build. So, yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Like I said, I, I think that he is uh, one of those guys that, um, you know, can we see, uh Clint Capella perhaps stretching defenses out to the perimeter no I don't think that we can see that's more realistic for somebody like John than it is for Clint you also got to think about realistically who are we without John like who do we know or feel extremely confident that we are without John um there's some things that he brings to the table again that Clint does not uh, and Clint clearly brings some things to the table that John does not. Maybe that's another reason to keep John. It's one thing to be in a pick and roll heavy NBA like we're seeing it right now where you have Trey uh, and he can throw that lob to John. Uh, we've seen it without Capella. We have never seen him throw that lob to Capella without John. But just the thought of having him and or John, having him and John, having two of those options for a guy that has worked his butt off and clearly has overachieved since he first put on a Hawks uniform. Um, 
So I think you got to think about who you are without. You don't want to end up putting yourself in a position to where it's like, all right, uh, you know, we should have kept John, you know, but it's too late now. And you had that in your back pocket and you had that opportunity. You had that option. Uh, the question is, is what are you getting for him? I mean, there's, I've been proposed with the question that I would propose to people. Would you package up Reddish and John to go and get Beal? Um, people feel different ways about that. So I, I think that uh, it, it's definitely one of those things that's th worth thinking about. And I know that we have to make this decision soon, but it's okay to let it play out and see exactly what John is up until leading up to the playoffs and you get to the playoffs, it's okay to evaluate John on what he is in the playoffs as well. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, it's kind of like we talked about um, just a little while ago, you know, letting this team mature at, at an organic rate and pace and, and getting the time. And, and you know, you're going to have to make a decision on John Collins at some point, but why rush that decision to this point, you know, to now, to the trade deadline or before, or, you know, even rush, you know, rush it, even into, you know, you got to have to make a decision in the offseason. But I definitely think that seeing what this team becomes with the new additions, with John Collins playing with everyone there, um, is definitely going to be a deciding factor. I think it's all going to play into the move this team team makes and, and the way they go and, and the route they decide to take, whether it be paying him a little bit more than maybe they want to pay or, um, you know, letting him walk and letting him go find money elsewhere and, you know, just kind of the conversation we've had about John Collins, it kind of, you know, brings me back to think about guys, um, you know, just the first one that comes to mind is kind of Draymond Green as being a guy who maybe isn't, he's not a max player to, you know, every other team in the league, but he's a max player to Golden State because he mm -hmm. brings an edge, he brings the toughness, he brings, you know, the defensive ability, the ability to switch guard, you know, the other team's best perimeter player at times, if it's a wing, also can, you know, hold his own in the post. And so I think John Collins, he doesn't necessarily bring that same skill set, but he brings something to the Hawks, the ability to, you know, play in the pick and roll, mm -hmm. um, to catch the lobs, to be, you know, the the short corner big guy, if you will, and play back there or also space the defense, take his guy to the perimeter if he's got a mismatch or take him to the block. Mm -hmm. He brings an extra level of versatility to the Hawks offensively and that's something that I don't know if you can get from every player. You can find a power forward but can you find a power forward to do the things that he does as well as he does them? And I think ultimately that's the question. He may not be a 90, you know, 95, whatever it ends up being million dollar player to any other team in the league, but for the Hawks and the focus they have on offense and how he compliments Trey young and compliments Capella and the other pieces they've built, he may be that a player of that value to the Hawks. And I think you have to ask yourselves, you know, his market is this, but he's asking for this. Is he is he worth that to us? And I think that'll be the question that will have to be answered um, on down the road for by by Hawks management. So, truthfully, um, that's what I'm looking forward to. It's going to be a fun off season. Going to be a fun fun stretch here. Um, not to rush it because we want to see these, these Hawks in the postseason, but definitely going to be a fun time. So, um, going to step away to take a quick break. But when we get back, uh, Deshaun's going to stick around, and we're going to talk some college hoops. So uh, don't go anywhere, and we'll be right back after a quick break. From everyone here at the 40 Forum, we just want to say Happy New Year! As 2021 moves in, we look forward to bringing you another year of sports talk by you and for you. 
Be sure to tune in each week throughout the year for the latest around the 404 sports world. We promise you won't want to miss it. What's up, Atlanta? We are back. This is Isaiah Smith. I'm still on the 404. I'm got my guy Deshaun Tate here. Um, make sure to check him out at Takes Tate's Take Hoops. I'm going to get it right before uh, before this is all over, I promise. But um, just talk some Atlanta Hawks uh, to keep it close to home. And now we're going to branch out a bit and talk some college hoops. Uh, college basketball, we're at that point now. I saw you tweet about it, uh, Deshaun, where we're at that point now to where football's over. It's officially over. There's no more um, college football, no more uh, no more hangover, whatever you want to call it, from the NFL. We don't have that dumb lull uh, where we get a week between the, the, the conference championships and the Super Bowl. Um, but I'm I'm very excited for this NCAA tournament, and it's one of the, me, me being I'm a sports guy. I like to think I'm a basketball junkie of sorts, but I'm a sports mm-hmm. guy. I just like sports, and I'm gonna watch it if it's on. I'll, I'm gonna take it in, especially Atlanta sports or mm-hmm. sports as as a whole. You know, if high if high stakes football is on, I'm gonna watch it. Being from the South, I was unfortunately bred with it even though basketball is the the superior sport um, I still got to watch a little bit of football and got to take in those braves as well but we're at that unique point in time where it's basketball we got basketball for about a month and a half two months and we're just I'm just gonna I'm gonna relish it I love it it's my favorite sport played it um, favorite sport to watch and so I'm here for it and, and college basketball is my favorite overall league but um, looking at college hoops they're going to institute kind of a bubble environment for uh for this ncaa tournament all going to be in in indianapolis um so overall do you see this bubble environment having a unique effect on the outcome of this year's tournament uh unique effect maybe yeah i think so i don't even think it's just about the fact that it's being played in a bubble uh when you start thinking about the ncaa tournament one of the things that i'm is there's two pieces of it that i'm really not sure if people understand how much of a difference that it makes uh, and one of them is the fans. The fans make the NCAA tournament. We're talking about going on runs, stretches of games, teams that are at the half, down 30, and there's five or six other games on at the same time. You flip from that one, you go to the others, and then you're getting these notifications blowing up on your phone. You're getting the ticker at the bottom, scrolling across the bottom, and it's saying, hey, this team that was down 30 at the half that you stopped paying attention to are now down by two, you know? And it's like, I don't know what – that is March Madness, and a lot of that is due to the fans. Um, The other part of that, which, I mean, maybe I'm the only person just because I'm a junkie, but the bands. Like, we haven't been seeing a lot of, like, band. Like, I just – it's something about them just blowing those trumpets and they're out there, they're doing their thing, and that gets people hyped. Just – it's it's a different element. I tell people there's nothing like college basketball. Uh, It's the most unpredictable in the best three weeks in all of sports. You got games coming on at noon. Games not going off till after midnight. You got upsets. You got buzzer beaters. You've got five versus 12 matchups. I mean, you name it, it's all there. And especially in a year like this, we haven't had to wait until March till we get some madness. Like, we've been getting madness all season long. And in in fact, we've been getting the madness since last November of 2019 going into that season where we wasn't sure who was number one and we didn't know who was going to win it. And 
Baylor was looking good, and then they start dropping off, and then Dayton was looking like this, and then, then there's Gonzaga, but can you really believe in them? And it, it, North Carolina was not looking like North Carolina. I know you probably don't want to be reminded of that, but oh, yeah. now it's not just North Carolina. Now it's uh, all the teams that are uh, elite tradition level North Carolina type programs. So, you know, uh, the effect that it will have, I'm not sure. I'm looking forward to seeing exactly what's going to come of it. Um, but I'm curious to see if not having crowds in the stands will play out to be much like the NBA, where I thought that while it does balance things out and, be, and, and, and because those, those home teams don't have the home crowd, behind them in which I know the NCAA tournament is different but does that balance it out a little bit more equalize things some um or do a lot of those higher seated teams um talking about the 11 through 16s do they feed do they actually feed off the crowd a little bit more and I think that they definitely do so it's I think it's just going to depend on the team. And if you belong in the final four, um, when the third of April rolls around, you deserved it to be there. It was the exact same way. Uh, when we saw the Lakers against the Nuggets, the Nuggets did something to be there. Fans in the stands are not. Miami did something to be there. Fans in the stands are not. Uh, and it's still got to be played out with or without, but all of our lives have changed because of this pandemic, not just the athletes who can't enjoy the fans being there. And then not only that, the last little piece of that answer to your question is, what does this mean for teams like Purdue and, and IU, who are essentially going to be making the tournament uh, in their own backyard? I mean, some of the games are played in Bloomington and in West Lafayette. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I'm even curious to see how that's going to pan out similar to the way that it did for Butler when the final four was played in their backyard. So I don't know. We'll see, but uh, I'm excited to see who maybe this pandemic has actually uh, and not having fans has actually, and they've embraced it and it's kind of motivated them to take it on to the, to the next level and uh, maybe go to the final four. I'd be telling my teams, listen, 68 teams is going to get in this thing. Okay. Uh, we are packing our bags for a month. We're not packing to come back, this and that. We're packing up our bags for a month. We're locking in our hotels for an entire month because we don't intend on going home early. This thing started with 68, and when there's only four teams remaining, we're going to be one of the last ones. So call your girlfriends, call your parents, tell them I'll see you next month. But that would be that 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 would be my outlook on what I would be telling my kids if I'm a head coach. For sure, for sure. You know, and that's that's kind of the mentality you saw um prevail in the NBA bubble with with um with Jamal Murray. You know, he you know, even though it was a series, I mean he he you know, you saw the commercial a hundred times, it feels like, where he does the interview and says they told him to, you know, start packing their bags and he was packing his room and he said, I'm not packing my bags, I'm not ready to go home and they pull off a comeback and, mm -hmm. and make it to the Western Conference finals. So I think I think mentality uh, going into that is gonna be a big, big part. Um, you know, are you, you know, showing up with the mentality of we're here and we're not going home till we're the only team left or we're leaving with a trophy, or or are you gonna show up and just kind of treat it as a normal NCAA tournament and we're here and be apprehensive to it? Or are you really going to embrace that bubble? Um, 
and, and also, like you said before, you know, I'm going to, the band, the band is, the bands, you don't think about it, mm-hmm. but it, it, it's such a big thing hearing those fight songs, hearing just coming out of timeouts. Um, you hear the, you know, whoever the announcers are for whatever network they're on, but mm-hmm. you, you come out of that timeout, out of that TV timeout and you're sitting at home and, and you hear that, or you're even in the arena, um, you're mm-hmm. in the arena and you hear that and it feels kind of that lull between the action and there's mm-hmm. never, never a dull moment, never a down mm-hmm. moment. And when, you know, I had the the opportunity to be in the building when um, um, UMBC upset Virginia oh, um, wow. a few years ago. Um, got to go with some friends to Charlotte, but it just seemed like at the beginning I called of the game, that one Zay Smitty. Really, I called that one. No, now, the program awesome. the program director at the time he might tell he might tell you that I didn't, but uh, and I think I still got that audio still from when I caught it because I caught it on the air. Uh, at the time and actually what I did and I guess you could say that I didn't call it I'll tell you exactly what I said and I hate that I cut you off I didn't mean to but um, I always tell this story what I actually said was if there is I said first of all we're not as far from seeing a 16 seed be a one seed for the first time as much as some people think that we are Uh, but I and I'm I'm not saying it's going to happen this year but if it happens this year and they have a really good chance of doing it, it will be UMBC in Virginia. So did I say, mark it down, lock it in, you know, UMBC over Virginia? I didn't say that, but I had the good gut feeling and I definitely wish that I had definitely put it that way, obviously, knowing the result after the fact, but go ahead. Definitely. No. Um, but I got to go, go to that one. And I was just going to tell the, the quick story. Um, we get there and I I'd driven all day to Charlotte up the road, about three hours, two and a half, three hours. And, you know, had my friends in the car and we had eaten some good pizza um, before the game and, and whoever played Kansas state had, had beaten somebody before. And I said, guys, we well, want to go back to the room and, and watch this one on TV. And they said, well, let's get to the, get to the, uh, the under eight. Let's, let's just get to the under eight. We, we watched at least half the first half I said, all right. So we get to the under eight and they're hanging tough. And hanging tough. I was like, all right, guys, at halftime, Virginia's gonna pull away by then. Yeah. We're 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 heading out. They're like, okay, if you think so. And then UMBC hung tough, and then they took the lead, and then they it just it ballooned from there. And you see, Virginia now you fans, can't go anywhere. You can't go anywhere. And we get in the room at two a.m. It seems like because we had to go out and, and eat some more food or whatever we did, and and be around the UMBC fans. And I've got a UMBC shirt from it, and it, wow. it, was, it was an awesome experience. It's an that awesome, awesome experience. I'm envious, man. I'm envious. I wanted to be there for that one. It's funny you say that because um, I was, uh, where was I at that time? Oh, I'm watching it. And uh, much like she, she didn't want to stay up for that game. Like you were saying, why don't we just go back to the room? Mm -hmm. She's like, I'm passing out. It's 16 versus a one. I'm just, I'm not feeling it. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, I'm up and I'm watching it. And then I was just kept thinking, okay, when are they going to make the run? When are they going to make the run? And a lot of people thought they were going to make that run uh, a lot later than I did. But I knew when we got to a certain point, I said, this is over. I mean, this was before it got out of hand by 20 or whatever. It was close to that. Yeah. But I said, no, this one's going to be over. I could see it because they weren't the team that I thought and still aren't the team that I thought could afford to be trying to make comebacks um you know late in a game or whatever you know and, and so uh because of their scoring deficiencies and so forth so i definitely went in there woke her up hey turn this oh i'm sleeping leave me the hell alone no wake up 
look at the, this is history. I'm all about the history. I don't love Tom Brady probably no more than the, anybody else. I'm a Spartan. He's a Wolverine, but I can appreciate the history that I'm watching with my two eyes. And so that was just, I'm, I'm envious of you, man. I'm envious, oh, yeah. dude. I'm, I'm upset. I would have been partying. You would have thought I went to UMBC the way I would have been out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a special night for sure. I got the ticket stub framed um, sitting wow. right up to the, to the right of the computer. Awesome. So it's, uh, it's definitely a special night, a special event to have, you know, with some, you know, my best friends in life, um, you know, been friends since we were in grade school. So we all got to go see that and be a part. It was one of the things, you know, one of the most memorable weekends we had. We got to do that. We got to, uh, we saw another buzzer beater. I think uh, Michigan knocked off Houston, I think it Houston, was. Yeah, and, yeah. and we sat through that whole one and then, um, you know, got to go. We ate some of the best pizza we'd ever had in our life. And then wow. those are about the three things I remember from that. And For um, sure. You know, I'm a pizza I, connoisseur myself. Today's oh, National yeah. Pizza Day. Did you have some? I did not have pizza today. I, I got to, I don't know where I was. I'm not a pizza connoisseur. Okay. But, but, uh, but I, I will eat some pizza, especially if it's a good pizza. There's a little pizza. Okay. Spot meat lovers, you're a meat lovers guy. I'll I'll eat I'll try anything I'll try just about anything okay Ancho, anchovies and all that or you no don't go that far no anchovies no mushrooms but okay no mushrooms no anchovies yeah. good chicken good. We're all... chicken and barbecue sauce if you got it put put it on and, and let's roll throw it, put on, it on let's roll okay I but got yeah. you but yeah I'm I guess I'm southern chicken and barbecue sauce I'll eat <laughs> it but but kind of the to veer back to the the point at point at hand um you know with the UMBC story I was I was saying it seemed like in the, those timeouts, the bank, the UMBC's band just kept getting louder and louder and louder. And as they, as they got the momentum and you, the players have to know it, the fans know it. Um, and so, you know, that lack of fans that, you know, for a team like, uh, you know, you, maybe they don't have to worry about it this year, but uh, you know, a Kentucky, for example, having those fans, you know, big blue nation traveling wherever they got to go um, or, you know, Villanova having that advantage in Philly, um, being able to play that East regional in Philly or, you know, um, UNC or Duke invading a Charlotte or, or Greenville or wherever. Um, mm -hmm. That lack of fans, I think, will will be something to watch. You know, it won't be those rabid environments where, you know, UNC or Duke or Kentucky or one of those, you know, or any team really, you know, a, a Kansas or whoever can, you know, just kind of pin their ears back and, and just devour one of these smaller opponents that, that maybe has some talent or some skill. But a lot of times that crowd gets going. They haven't played in an environment that big. And it overwhelms you. It really does. And you see it a lot of times late. They'll hang tough through the, you know, second half or the final um, – the final, you know, 25 minutes or so of the game. But the, that, that initial rally, that first eight, 10, 12 minutes is so great with that, with those fans in the building that, mm -hmm. that you just can't withstand it. it it's, mm -hmm. it's overwhelming. And so, um, you know, all that to kind of, kind of segue, we kind of got off topic a bit, but you know, still, still wonderful to run down memory lane there. Um, your top four seeds in the tournament as of now, who, who are they? And, and I guess give a little bit of explanation as to why. The top one seeds. Yes, your top number one seeds, excuse me. Yeah, no worries. Uh, I think on that one, I've got, obviously, Gonzaga uh, and, uh, and Baylor. I think one of the things that helped Gonzaga besides, you know, just not losing any games is that they have definitely uh, beefed up their non-conference schedule and took care of business there. So I think that that's one of the things that definitely helps them. Kansas, Auburn, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, the defending national champs. So I think that that helps. Baylor is obviously right there, and a lot of people feel like they should be jumping Gonzaga in the polls and so forth at this point. Uh, but it's kind of hard to go against 
uh, putting them there because they are unbeaten as well. Guard heavy, like crazy team. You wouldn't believe that they're as small as they actually are. And part of the reason is because so many of their guards that are 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", actually play almost as if they're like small forward or power forward position players. Um, uh, I've still got Villanova on, the, on that one line. And of course, all of these are is what was going into Monday, going into yesterday. But I've still got Villanova on that one line. Uh, I think that you know their brand helps them uh, out a little bit. Uh, the coaching helps them out uh, a significant amount. Of all of my four number one seeds, they've got the best coach. Uh, but even more so, I mean, looking at it here, what have they lost? They've lost two games for crying out loud. So I think that they're just fine. Now, granted, those two games were both to unranked teams, but I think that you could say that about some other teams here in the tournament as well. Um, and so they're always going to be well-rounded and, 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 and uh, have some of the best role players uh, that there is in the game always, it seems like. I really like Colin Gillespie too. Uh, and then Michigan is the other one. I know that they've been on a little bit of a hiatus and uh, have – had a lot of games canceled, but to be a team that even though they haven't played all the toughest games and especially on the road against teams within the toughest and the most competitive and the best conference in the country being the Big Ten, they still have a lot of those tough games up coming up for themselves. Um, but it's been impressive the way that they've done it, not necessarily what Jawan Howard has put in place in Ann Arbor, but the way that he's put it in place, the, one, the way that he's won games. I mean, he's one of those that I really, nobody really questioned him too much from a standpoint of if he can recruit or not. They've got the number one recruiting class in the country coming in next year, so I'm sure that helps. Uh, but the fact that uh, we didn't know who he was from an X's and O's clipboard guy. And now I feel like we know that a lot more. Uh, he is doing what we probably thought Patrick Ewing and Penny Hardaway would be doing as alums uh, of coaching at, you know, at their institutions. Uh, and they've done a phenomenal job. I mean, whether they've lost, missed out on games from postponement, COVID cancellations and so forth, they've won the games that were in front of them except for one. And I don't think with that one game that you can penalize them from being a number one seed right now. I agree. Um, you know, you, I promise we didn't collaborate, but those are my four number ones as well. Um, mm. You know, I had, you know, I had Michigan as the third um, and Villanova is my, you know, fourth if I were ranking them as far in power rankings. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think the, uh, you know, that's not as important as who you have on that one line. Um, mm -hmm. Gonzaga has been, you know, seems like head and shoulders better. Um, than almost everyone they've been they've been beating teams pretty well good teams pretty well mm. um and Baylor's done the same you know I, I really like Baylor and last year you know coming into the tournament a lot of people had questions you know could Baylor score it well enough to to win games and make a run and I think they've kind of answered that mm -hmm. answered that question this year and gone to the drawing board made some changes gotten better and and they do a lot of things really well they play bigger than they are like you like you kind of said with those those guards that are smaller guards or would be smaller forwards um, and play those, you know, play bigger, play physical and do the dirty work, do what they have to do. And then, um, you know, Michigan is, is a, you hit the nail on the head with Jawan Howard um, and his ability to come in, implement his system 
and do it at a high level and get the most out of the guys he has. And then Villanova, I'm, I'm, I don't bet against Villanova. I have a, uh, a heartbreak experience with Villanova being a Carolina fan. So I, um, I, I'm not going to bet against Villanova. I never count them out. Even when you say they're not very good, I'm like, no, no, no. That, Villanova's pretty good. They can play. Villanova's so, Villanova. Mm. Yes, they're Villanova. They always get better around March. They seem to always have savvy veterans. Um, and Jay Wright knows what to do. He, he pushes all the right buttons. He gets the most out of his guys. They're tough, which is a huge, huge attribute in, in March and in the postseason. So I'm never going to count them out. You, the clock's got to be at zeros, and they've got to be on the losing end of the scoreboard for me to do that. But, mm-hmm. um, but you know, really looking at, at some of these other teams, you know, we didn't mention a Duke. We didn't mention a UNC. We didn't mention a Kentucky, a Kansas. Um, any of those types of teams on the one line. And a lot of these teams aren't really even – touching that that line to get into the tournament for that matter so these and these are the blue bloods of the sport really the only one that we've we've kind of mentioned maybe would be um Villanova and then if you want to consider Gonzaga in that in that category um but none of these teams have dominated the sport like we expect them to usually and like they have in the past um what kind of in your mind is the is the reason behind that is it one and done or you know what what's the what's the logic there yeah I think it is one and done a large part of it uh, Carolina probably hasn't relied on one and done nearly as much as Kentucky and Duke has. Um, Michigan State hasn't relied on one and done nearly as much as maybe Carolina has. So, and they're in that group as well. Uh, just imagining a March Madness without Duke and Michigan State and Kentucky and North Carolina. It's crazy to even think that. Uh, I'm not sure that we've ever seen it look like that since this game was created by the originator creator, Dr. James, James Naismith uh, in Lawrence, Kansas on December 20. Don't tell me, hold on. Give me a second. December 21st. It's either it's 21st or 23rd, 1891. But I say all that for a reason. <laughs> I love this basketball stuff, dude. I'm telling you. Uh, I say that because this is the first time that we might realistically look at it like that, you know, because while uh, it was, uh, I've heard that, you know, leading into the Duke and Carolina game, it's like, it's uh, it almost had the feeling of like winning you're in and lose and go to the NIT type of deal. They'll probably, in this case, there's probably going to be more NBA scouts at the NIT if there was one than there would be at the NCAA tournament. Uh, but I say all that to say that um, Carolina goes out and party and celebrates a win against Duke, and then the game gets shut down on yesterday against Miami because they didn't feel comfortable. I don't blame them. Uh, but that is where I think Carolina showed themselves a little disservice because they still needed more wins to rack yep. up. Like, they're not a lock yet. Like, right now I think they're in. But the selection Sunday isn't until over a month from now uh, on the 14th. And as far as Duke goes, I think it is, the you know, taking a page out of Coach Calipari's notebook, I think it's something that has hurt him after 2015. Like, if I would have told you that the Grayson Allens and Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson and Wendell Carter and, 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 and uh, Trey Jones and – you know, Marvin, if all of these guys that came in were never, forget about just getting a national championship. If I would have told you that they weren't even going to get to the final four, you probably would have called me crazy. 
so I don't think that that part has particularly helped Coach K and Duke. They're on a three-game losing streak now. I think they lost today against Notre Dame, I feel like. So after that loss to Miami, North Carolina, and probably Notre Dame, which I haven't looked, but in that case, there's no way that they can be allowed in. Now, I've always been the person that has said if they get severely threatened by missing the NCAA tournament, then I think that Coach K is going to pull a Coach K move. He's going to pull the plug and not allow his guys to participate uh, and, and, and maybe blame it on COVID. But I hope he's a much better person than that. But Michigan State, let's make no mistake about it. I'm a Sparty guy. They're in that same conversation as well. Um, all of these teams, one thing that they do have that help that can help them outside of winning games in the conference tournament and maybe even winning the conference tournament, which I count none of them out from doing, uh, they have brand names. And I think that that's something that definitely helps them out a ton. Uh, Kentucky, I just don't think is getting in unless they win their conference tournament point blank period. Um, but it's just crazy to think that you have all of these teams who are traditional elite powerhouse programs and, and, and they're on the outside looking in right now. And that is exactly what college basketball is about. You don't just get wheeled into this thing just because of the name on the front of the jersey. You got to go out there and beat the teams that are in front of you. And while a lot of people are going to blame it on COVID, there's also, uh, there, there's also COVID going on in Waco, Texas, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, in Spokane, Washington, and everywhere else. But I think more so because, like I said, the one and done, um, this is where you needed your games played. This is where you've needed practice time. And when you have some of those inexperienced groups, this is where it goes to show. And if you're old, you want to stay old. And I think it's just the, the veterans and the, and, and the leadership, the experienced guys are the reasons why we're seeing some of these teams getting in that aren't nearly as talented on paper as some of the blue bloods. For sure, for sure. I mean, even with some of these blue bloods who have become the one-and-done factories, when they've been good, really good, and had a, you know, maybe had a standout or a top overall player, they've still had those veteran pieces. You know, I think the one-and-done epidemic, if you want to call it that, or the one-and-done trend in college basketball has been one of the one of, one of the things that has led to kind of the, I won't say downfall, but definitely mm -hmm. the 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 negative trend for some of these, these bigger blue blood programs. Um, mm -hmm. But even look at, looking at Kentucky, you know, with the one and dones, you still had, you know, the Tyler Ulysses, you still had the Andrew and Aaron Harrison's, you still had mm -hmm. guys who could come in, be, you know, savvy veterans, knew the ropes, knew what they were doing. You know, look at Carolina with Theo Pinson, Joe mm -hmm. Barry, um, Justin Jackson as an, as an older guy, um, Michigan state, you know, with Tum Tum Nairn, who seemed like he played there forever. Um, and, you know, even Duke with Grayson Allen being there for, it seemed like, two forevers. Um, Twin Cook playing there for a long time. Um, you know, all these teams were, were, ta were laden with talented freshmen, but they had those veterans to kind of pull, pull them through, pull them through tough times and kind of help, help you know, right the ship when it needed and lead and be leaders in March. And I mm -hmm. think that is, that is one of the biggest keys is not having that. And then the lack of practice time, the lack of ability to get guys to do what you need them to do to get the, you know, the intricate level of your scheme to, to get to the next level and teach them a college game that hasn't helped either. So 
all that in mind, I think that makes it a, a more fun NCAA tournament. I, mm-hmm. I know for me, I, I like the unpredictability. I hate that I can't get a perfect bracket because mm-hmm. I'm competitive, but I, I love the unpredictability. I love seeing some of these smaller teams or, or, or no-name teams, the Loyola, Merriments, or teams like that make that long, that deep run. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that this year. Uh, and, and I don't know about you, but to me, that, that's what makes it an event like, like none other. For sure, for sure. I think this year I might let the dogs fill my bracket out for me. Um, <laughs> that's just probably where I'm going to go with it this year. But no, I'm going I'm to do my best. I take a lot of pride in filling out these brackets, and it's a process. It's a lot of fun, and some people probably take it a little bit. And I'm competitive too, trust me, believe me. Um, some people probably take it a little bit more serious maybe. Uh, and I don't know, maybe they got, hopefully if they're taking it that serious, they got a, a couple dollars on the line. Um, but nonetheless, I, I enjoy it. And, and to be honest with you, it's something that we need for one reason being that where I think it's different, uh, maybe not necessarily than Super Bowl, but just a lot of others. I don't care what color you are, black, white, beige, purple, whatever. This is, it brings people together. Selection Sunday rolls around. You got your pen and your paper out. You know, you got your bracket printed out and you're going, you're taking it to the office the next day and people are engaging together, you know? Uh, and, and, and you're just watching these games and it brings people together. That's just something that we need more of, especially right now with everything that's going on, you know, in this country is that we need more togetherness. And I think I like to think anyways that the NCAA tournament is one of the things that do that. I mean, you, there's always that one game that's like, oh, my bracket's busted. That's it. You know, I'm crumbling it up. I'm done with this. I'm good. I'm tossing the wastebasket. They killed my bracket. But the best part about that, though, Zay Smitty, is guess what? That wasn't even the one that really busted it all the way open yet. You thought it was. <laughs> oh, yeah. You thought it was. You thought it was. But guess what? It's this one coming up. And that's the one. Now you got to set it on fire. Now it's like I'm just going to watch because I don't have a dog in the fight. That is March Madness. That is what I love. The buzzer beaters, the upsets, the unpredictability. you got game after game after game. There is no oh, you know, I'm stressed. Let me get a breather. Let me just take a couple. No, there's another game coming on after that. Like, you're on top of it. It's one after the other. So that's just what I love about it, man. And I can't wait until it gets here. For sure. Me neither. And and having that, it's going to be a special experience. With all we've been through, not having it last year, um, with everything going on, you know, from pandemic to whatever else you want to do. We can spend another, take another show talking about that, but it's just going to be so welcome, so necessary and such a, you know, hopefully it comes off without a hitch, safe, you know, COVID free, just a mm-hmm. great event. Um, and, and that's my wish, you know, like you said, bringing people together, getting to watch some high quality basketball over that three weeks, that sprint to a national title. It, there's nothing like it in sports. The NBA tried to emulate it in the summer. It still wasn't the same. It, it almost became overload. It almost became overload. It really did. But it's nothing like it. And if you haven't experienced it, make sure you sit down and watch March Madness this year. You will, you'll, you'll be addicted. You'll love it. It's one of the, it's the best event of the year. It is the best event of the year for my money. So um, unfortunately that's all we got. Um, thank you again to Sean. I'm gonna have to give you a nickname, uh, D Tate maybe who knows. Ah, um, I got that one tattooed on the left shoulder. 
Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to get better. I have to get better and get original. <laughs> and get good. original. No, take but, your time. Uh, Detail is just fine with me. Listen, I, I appreciate what you're doing. You're obviously very knowledgeable, and uh, thank you for sharing this space and your platform and just uh, allowing me to be a part of it. It means everything to me to be able to allow me to share my passion and my energy. Hopefully, uh, I met the expectations <laughs> that I have, but uh, uh, for this game, man, it's a different kind of love. It's a di it brings a different kind of joy out of me might be the best thing that I have going on in my life, whatever. I don't want to say that too loud, but I will say uh, that, you know, it, uh, it, uh, I, don't, I don't know if that sends something about my life. Like his life must really be boring if it's always surrounded by 10 sweaty guys running up and down the floor. Uh, but you know what? I love it. I enjoy it. It's my passion. I'm thankful for you to bring me on and uh, be able to uh, have a chance to exercise that and keep doing things, man. Keep, keep, keep going, man. I enjoyed myself. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on, you know, thank you um, for imparting that wisdom. Um, and, and thank you all for listening out there, you know, be sure to like, and subscribe um, at, you know, the 404 forum, check me out, anchor, Spotify, Apple podcasts, wherever you get your podcast from. Also be sure to check out um, at Tate's take, hoops i got it there right the go. last time um, there you it's a go tongue twister but i got it uh, make sure to check <laughs> check out uh deshaun um hopefully we can have you back hopefully to talk some more hoops no as doubt. more things happen and develop um but you know again thank you for your time and thank you all for listening um this is isaiah smith host of the 404 forum signing off and we look forward to talking to you guys again next week